Hello, welcome to episode 84 of Pay-Per-View, in which I review newspaper headlines and current events and place events and headlines in their true context. And the first subject this week is cash. This is in the Daily Express. Millions of Brits face being cut off from system as cash phased out in five years. The boss of the largest ATM networks says access to banknotes is suffering death by a thousand cuts. Campaigners say those at risk of being left behind as a cashless society looms include the elderly and vulnerable. John Howells, chief executive at the UK's Cashpoint network Link, said the use of notes and coins is down 40% since COVID and still falling as people switch to plastic. Cash machines and bank branches are vanishing from high streets while more shops, restaurants, bars and venues only accept card payments. Mr Howells warned that around 5 million people are at risk of being left behind unless more is done to help the transition digital. He said this infrastructure will start to fall apart unless something is done and we are already seeing ATMs and branches closing at a worrying rate. Our cash infrastructure is experiencing death by a thousand cuts. We have five to ten years to fix digital payments before cash becomes unworkable and need to start planning how to get the new system working for all. He said the cost of providing cash infrastructure is huge. The number of free cash machines has dropped by more than a fifth in four years, from 52,358 in 2018 to 40,830. It is feared moves towards a digital society would be a hammer blow to pensioners who do not use the internet, as well as others who rely on hard cash. Mr Howell's warning has sparked calls from campaigners for new legislation to protect access to cash. The plea follows plans that were outlined in the Queen's speech earlier this year. Caroline Abraham's charity director at Age UK said cash usage has declined over the past few years with many businesses requiring customers to pay by card or digitally during the pandemic. However, cash remains an essential part of many people's lives and there are some suggestions that it is becoming more popular again, including among young people, as it's a good way of keeping control of your finances when inflation is high. Millions of older people rely on cash for everyday spending and to pay carers, cleaners and those who shop on their behalf. And many others need cash for other reasons, for example, local traders, for whom cash is often core to their operation. It would be a mistake to assume that everyone in our society is willing or able to make all their financial transactions digitally. The government must guarantee continued access to this essential payment method for all citizens right across the country. The incoming government should bring forward legislation to this end. Dennis Reed, director of Silver Voices, which campaigns for the over 60s, added, we would seek reassurances from the new government that they are going to treat this seriously because so many people still rely on cash. Maybe 30 or 40 years down the road, we may be able to talk about this again, but at the moment, it's not possible for people to be disenfranchised in this way. Mr. Reed added that life for many pensioners who depend on cash has already become increasingly difficult. He said people are extremely worried about things like car parking apps and so on because it stops them going out. They can't park their cars and that's only just a small example. If it spreads to all parts of society, then it's going to lead to isolation and more loneliness. This is all part of the agenda which I've talked about before, which is phasing out the elderly. Depopulation and the fact that the global cult don't want elderly people. Great reset society. Aldous Huxley talked about euthanasia in his novel Brave New World. When you reach a certain age, you'll be given a, a pill and you would be euthanized. And that basically is the plan. I mean, look at what happened to elderly people during the COVID hoax and with Midazolam and remdesivir in America and other countries, different drugs. 
which I talk about in the new book and I talked about before in this podcast. Marco Longhi, the Tory MP for Dudley North, raised concerns about the impact of bank branch closures, but downplayed Mr Howell's warning, saying, I do think the prediction of cashless within five years to be too alarmist. For me, access to bank branch services rather than just ATMs is of more concern. This is especially relevant to older people, smaller businesses and the vulnerable who still use several services and don't just need access to cash. The article continues, fears of an acceleration towards a cashless society come after a report earlier this month by UK finance estimated notes and coins will account for just 6% of payments in 2031 compared to 15% last year. Recent figures have shown a small increase in cash transactions as people try to keep track of their spending during the cost of living crisis. Well, cash has long been a target of the global cult. This global cult that I talk and write about. Their agenda seeks a one-world electronic currency with no cash and one-world central bank dictating all global finance from a central point. Now, I've been pointing this out in this podcast alone for years, but the alternative media on the internet, some of whom have spent decades trying to warn against the end of cash as part of the court's agenda. What we're seeing now is long planned. Otherwise, how could some in the alternative media on the internet have known it was going to happen decades before? Cash means freedom and independence. A single electronic currency means control. The COVID hoax was played to destroy small businesses and independent incomes, which it did worldwide. As well as that, trillions were spent on COVID policies by governments worldwide, and 80% of dollars in circulation at the start of this year, 2022, had been created since January 2020. The sanctions on Russia are damaging the Western economy, not Russia, which has China watching its back energy-wise, while the climate change activists, the Greens and Extinction Rebellion say nothing about China, because China is the planned model for the world. Biden says that he, those who control him, is targeting the main artery of the Russian economy, when in fact, he, those who control him, are targeting the Western economy. Someone said to me once that COVID cannot have been a hoax because the government would not destroy their own economy. Well, they are. Banning Russian oil and gas drives prices higher in the West. The money hosed at the COVID hoax in the COVID relief packages and furlough payments has caused massive inflation. Banning Russian oil and gas drives prices higher in the West. Then you have climate change policy, which is policy once again like COVID based on something that's not happening. Human caused climate change. Yes, climate changes, but humans are not causing it. The plan is to bring the Western economy and the ability of people to survive to their knees and then offer a guaranteed income, which will be electronic to people as long as they do what the government says. The great reset of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum is being moved into place by Klaus Schwab Young Leaders School graduates in positions of political power worldwide. This is Schwab's Young Leaders School that trains political hopefuls, uh, not just um, people in corporate positions as well, who then go on to be uh, prominent names in their field. This is the World Economic Forum of Klaus Schwab, who is uh, very close mates with Bill Gates, who was fundamental to the COVID hoax 
worldwide and has long been an, an asset of frontman gopher like Klaus Schwab of the global cult, especially the Rockefellers. The answer, in terms of the cashless society, is to refuse to use any shop or service which won't take cash. Some people have taken that approach already. If they experience a footfall in numbers because of their no-cash policy, well, they'll have no choice but to change, or they won't see a return to the numbers they had before. As ever, the people have the power. It's just a matter of using it. And the next subject this week is... Food crisis. Running out. Fears of food and beer shortages caused by new CO2 crisis as major plant halts production. This is in the sun. Fears have been sparked there could be food and beer shortages caused by a carbon dioxide crisis at a major production plant. Soaring energy prices have caused CF fertilizers to stop operation at its Billingham plant, which could impact the supply of food and production of beer. The firm produces ammonia and the CO2 byproduct that is produced is commonly used to put into beer to make it fizzy and is also put into food packaging to keep items fresh. It is also used to humanely slaughter chickens and pigs and is put in fizzy soft drinks too. But high natural gas and carbon prices have led the factory, which supplies 40% of the country's CO2, to shut down temporarily, sparking concerns of gaps in shelves. British Beer and Pub Association Chief Executive Emma McClarkin said the timing could not be worse for struggling pubs and breweries. She said a guaranteed supply is essential for operations across pub and brewing businesses and this announcement comes at a time when they are already facing extreme cost rising that are threatening businesses and people's livelihoods across the country. Concerns were sparked about CO2 crisis hitting drinkers last year. Experts warned it could hit Christmas beer supplies as the nation faced the worst CO2 shortages for over 40 years at that point. Pubs also faced a carbon dioxide shortage in 2018, which hit thousands of branches across the country, with some Weatherspoons, Punch Admiral, Towns and Enterprise in Inns pubs left unable to sell draft beer and fish drinks. National Farmers Union said news of CF fertilizers plant closure was extremely worrying for the agricultural industry. It would be meeting with the company to see how long the temporary suspension would last for. Its president, Minette Batters, said, I am also urging the government to review how this decision impacts CO2 availability in the UK, which is essential in the food supply chain to process and package food. A government spokesperson said, while the government continues to examine options for the market to improve resilience over the longer term, it is essential industry acts in the interest of the public and business to do everything it can to meet demand. Energy prices soared, the article continues, on Monday after Russia said it would run maintenance on a key gas pipeline, the Nord Stream 1. This has caused concern for experts who warn Russia may not open the pipeline to put pressure on Europe as the war with Ukraine continues, which could cost energy bills to spite it. Industry insiders say as many as 400,000 UK businesses could go bust if energy costs continue to rocket. Spiralling energy costs are among a number of factors that have caused food shortages across the country recently. Supermarkets, including Tesco and Asta, ran out of some varieties of tomato earlier this year. Bosses say it is due to problems including energy bills, hikes, bad weather and militant truck drivers. It caused the price of the salad staple to rocket by 60%. Cooking oil was rationed across Tesco, Iceland and Morrison stores as the Russia-Ukraine crisis has disrupted the supply of sunflower oil across the globe. The crisis has also sparked concerns about the supply of bread and beer. Both countries produced a third of the world's total wheat supply. Well, the food supply is being targeted in various ways. 
the theme of viruses returns again. The new bird flu that was announced. The strain H3N8, which has led to culling of chicken and livestock, which makes life more difficult for farmers, of course. H3N8, like all other viruses, has never been proven to exist as a distinct entity. At the same time, Bill Gates is now the biggest owner of farmland in America. China is now buying up American farmland. I said in pay-per-view in print my first book that the cult's agenda seeks to get people off the land and into the cities. A massive colour of the population is necessary to achieve this agenda and the COVID fake vaccines and food shortages will contribute to the depopulation agenda which plays out in various ways as I explore in pay-per-view in print. There has been an unprecedented number of food processing plants bursting into flames or being hit by planes in 2021 and, and 2022, which defies even the most ardent coincidence theorist. Here is a sample, but the list is much longer. Azure Standard Headquarters, fire. Taylor Farms, fire. Gem State Processing, plane hit. East Conway Beef and Pork, fire. Rio Fresh, fire. Marco Beer Food Pantry, fire. Walmart, Asda here in Britain. Fulfillment Centre, fire. Hot Pockets Plant, fire. Shearer's Foods, Boiler Explosion, Bonanza Company, Fire, Wisconsin River Meats, Fire, Harper's Market Poultry Plant, Fire, Cargill Neutrina Food Mill, Explosion, Van Drunen Farms, Fire, Westside Food Processing Plant, Fire, Made Right Steak Company, Fire, Lincoln Premium, Ammonia Leak, JBS USA, Fire, Patak Meat Processing Facility, Fire, Kellogg Company Fire, Nestle Food Plant Fire, Delhi Star Meat Plant Fire, Tyson Foods Incorporated Fire, Smithfield Foods Fire, Best View Farm Fire, Wisconsin River Meats Fire, Shadow Brook Farm and Dutch Guild Cream, Percy Farm Fire, Garrard County Food Pantry Fire, Darigold Butter Production Plant Fire, Patak Food Production Plant Fire. Why? How? unless it's coordinated. The war between Russia and Ukraine has increased the price of oil, including sunflower oil, gas and wheat, with reports that this could affect sausages, chicken, pasta and beer. Money was hosed with no limits at the COVID hoax, which has caused massive inflation, as I said earlier, affecting prices for so many products and commodities, including the price of oil, which affects the transport food. Russia is the biggest exporter of oil and gas in the world. The cost of diesel has massively increased as a result of the human-caused climate change hopes, which has widespread implications for the cost of living. John Katsimatidis is an American billionaire businessman and radio talk show host. Katsimatidis is the owner, president, chairman and CEO of Gristadis Foods, a grocery chain in Manhattan and the Red Apple Group, a real estate and aviation company with about $2 billion holdings in New York, Florida and Pennsylvania. Katsimatidis said, a recession does not have to happen. Open up the spigots and the price of oil will drop to 60 55 It makes no sense at all. It's wiping out the American economy. Somebody's on the path to try to destroy America. And Katsimatidis is, of course, exactly right. The COVID hoax has had an incredibly destructive effect on the American economy, which is why it happened 
America has long been bankrupt and only continues to survive and hide their bankruptcy by raising the debt ceiling. This was the case before the COVID hoax and the $192 billion spent by the US government on COVID relief funding only made matters dramatically worse. The outsourcing of jobs to China has enormous implications on the global supply chain. China joined the World Trade Organization in 2001. The World Trade Organization was founded on the back of the Bretton Woods Agreement after the Cold Orchestrate of World War II. A report by the Economic Policy Institute from December 2014 entitled China Trade Outsourcing and Jobs states that China's membership of the World Trade Organization and the incredible growth of trade between America and China has had a dramatic and negative effect on U.S. workers and the domestic economy. The report states that a growing U.S. goods trade deficit with China has the United States piling up foreign debt, losing export capacity and losing jobs, especially in the vital but under siege manufacturing sector. Growth in the U.S. goods trade deficit with China between 2001 and 2013 eliminated or displaced 3.2 million U.S. jobs 2.4 million, which accounts for three quarters, were in manufacturing. These lost manufacturing jobs account for about two-thirds of all U.S. manufacturing jobs lost or displaced between December 2001 and December 2013. Outsourcing to China also has implications for the food supply chain. America is dependent on China for vitamins necessary for the food supply chain and animal feed. American beef exports are dependent on China. If America finds itself in conflict with China, with Russia in tow, which has been the plan for decades, as again the alternative media on the internet have been pointing out for decades, there will be obvious trade and economic consequences, which is exactly the idea. Russia and Belarus are two of the biggest exporters of fertilizer and related products in the world, accounting for around $10 billion worth of trade. The fertilizer market has taken a hit as a result of the sanctions on Russia. China is the biggest, third biggest exporter of fertilizer in the world, and this has imposed an export ban on the product since summer 2021, officially to keep domestic food prices low. The Biden administration in May 2021 began encouraging farmers to add agricultural land to the Conservation Reserve Program, which essentially pays farmers not to farm, which is exactly what you want during a food crisis. A state-level plan in California is paying farmers to grow less. The UK government is paying lump sums up to £100,000, to encourage farmers to retire from farming. America's Union Pacific Railway has capped the number of fertilizer deliveries it will make, informing CF Industries that they will need to cut their train car use by as much as 20%. CF Industries responded, The timing of this action by Union Pacific could not come at a worse time for farmers. Not only will fertilizer be delayed by these shipping restrictions, but additional fertilizer needed to complete spring applications may be unable to reach farmers at all. By placing this arbitrary restriction on just a handful of shippers, Union Pacific is jeopardizing farmers' harvests and increasing the cost of food for consumers. As well as all that, Dutch farmers are protesting. Mark Rutter, a World Economic Forum Agenda contributor, Prime Minister of the Netherlands, the second biggest exporter of food in the world, is targeting farmers officially because of climate change policies, but in truth to destroy the independent income of the farmers and their families. Yes, but also to limit the food supply chain, not just in the Netherlands, but worldwide. A food crisis is being systematically created in various ways. Henry Kissinger once said, 
Who controls the food supply controls the people. Who controls the energy can control whole continents. Who controls money can control the world. And this sums up exactly what the manufactured food crisis is really about, control. The cult already control energy through the corporations they own and control and the money supply through only the global banking, financial and economic system and the COVID hopes for the biggest transfer of wealth in human history. And of course, the COVID hopes in part has destroyed the global economy. Now they're moving in on food and the supply chain of goods in general to secure complete control of the global population. And the next subject this week is the COVID fake vaccine. This is in the Daily Mail. Although they don't look at it from that angle, of course. Healthy young people are dying suddenly and unexpectedly from a mysterious syndrome as doctors see cancers through a new national register. People aged under 40 are being urged to have their hearts checked because they may potentially be at risk of sudden adult death syndrome. The syndrome known as SADS has been faking for all kinds of people regardless of whether they maintain a fit and healthy lifestyle. SADS is an umbrella term to describe unexpected deaths in young people, said the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners, most commonly occurring in people under 14 years of age. Under 40. The term is used when a post-mortem cannot find an obvious cause of death. The US-based SADS Foundation was said that over half of the 4,000 annual SADS deaths of children, teens or young adults have one of the top two warning signs present. Those signs include a family history of a SADS diagnosis or sudden unexplained death of a family member and fainting or seizure during exercise when excited or startled, reported news.com.au. Last year, a 31-year-old woman, my age, Catherine King, died in a sleep while living with two friends in Dublin. Her mother, Margarita Cummings, told the Irish Mirror they were all working from home so no one really paid attention when Catherine didn't come down for breakfast. They sent her a text at 11.20am and when she didn't reply, they checked her room and found she had passed. Her friend heard a noise in the room at 3.56am and believes now that is when she died. Miss Cummings stated that her daughter went to the gym and walked 10,000 steps every day. I take some comfort in that she went in her sleep and knew no pain, and I'm grateful for that. I always worried about the kids driving in the car, but never saw this coming. I never thought I'd ever lose a child in my life. Melbourne's Baker Heart and Diabetes Institute is developing the country's first SADS registry. There are approximately 750 cases a year of people aged under 50 in Victoria suddenly having their heart stopped. A spokesperson said, of these, approximately 100 young people a year will have no cause found, even after extensive investigations such as a full autopsy. Cardiologist and researcher Dr Elizabeth Pratt said Baker's registry was the first in the country and one of only a few in the world that combined ambulance, hospital and forensics information. It allows you to see people have had the cardiac arrest and no cause was found on the back end, Dr Pratt said. She believes the Potential lack of awareness may be due to the fact that a lot of it takes place outside of traditional medical settings. The majority of these SADS events, 90%, occur outside the hospital. The person doesn't make it, so it's actually ambulance staff and forensics caring for the bulk of these patients, Dr. Barat said. I think even doctors underestimate it. We only see the 10% who survive and make it to hospital. We only see the tip of the iceberg ourselves. For family and friends of victims, SADS is a very hard entity to grasp because it's a diagnosis of nothing, Dr. Peratz added. Uh, 
she said that from a public health perspective, combating SADS was not as easy as everyone in Australia getting genetically screened as scientists. We're still not 100% clear on what genes cause this. The best advice would be if you have yourself have had a first degree relative, a parent, sibling, child who's had an unexplained death. It's extremely recommended to see a cardiologist, she said. Well, I don't need a national register to tell me the obvious cause of young people dying suddenly and unexpectedly since the rollout of the COVID fake vaccine. Young people are being urged to have their hearts checked because they may potentially be at risk of sudden adult death syndrome. This new syndrome that has appeared since the rollout of the COVID fake vaccine. Myocarditis, inflammation of the heart muscle, is an acknowledged consequence of the COVID fake vaccine. I say fake vaccine because it doesn't meet the criteria of a vaccine. On 22nd of October, my, my birthday, an MPP, a member of the Canadian Provincial Parliament, wrote to Commissioner Thomas Carrick, or Carrick of the Ontario Provisional Police, requesting an immediate investigation into the sudden deaths of young and healthy individuals. And this member of parliament, a guy called Hillier, said that, that his request for investigation is based on Ontario public health data revealing a disproportionate occurrence among younger age demographics of potentially serious adverse reactions to COVID-19 vaccines with particular concern for cardiovascular conditions. Hillier also stated such trends are being observed in publicly available data worldwide, prompting several countries to suspend the use of certain fake vaccine products altogether or restrict their usage among young adults and children. Sweden and Denmark paused the Moderna COVID fake vaccine to a younger age groups due to an increase in cases of myocarditis and pericarditis following fake vaccination. The Swedish health agency said the connection is especially clear when it comes to Moderna's vaccine, fake vaccine, spike vax, especially after the second dose. Hillier told the Commissioner for Ontario Provincial Police that the increasing occurrence of sudden deaths in young and healthy individuals is of great, great cause for concern and that they owe the truth to the families of the deceased who are seeking answers. I agree. But the truth won't be communicated through any official agency because the COVID fake vaccine is fundamentally centrally important to the cult's agenda and the pharmaceutical cartel regulatory agencies and government are psychopathic beyond words and all agencies and assets of the cult. The UK Health Security Agency, which took over from Public Health England, has said that children who have had COVID tested positive with a device that creates copies of genetic material and or had symptoms from other causes, should wait three months to get the fake vaccine to reduce the risk of myocarditis. So they're admitting the fake vaccine can cause myocarditis, but they still recommend it anyway. And they say reduce the risk. They don't claim that if a child gets fake vaccinated after three months, they won't get myocarditis, which means they still can. If children can develop myocarditis from the fake vaccine, why not adults? Mika Salmonen, a Finnish virologist who works as the Director and Research Professor of the Department of Health, Safety and Welfare in Iceland, said a Nordic study involving Finland, Sweden, Norway and Denmark found that men under the age of 30 
who received Moderna spike that at a slightly higher risk than others of developing myocarditis. But what about over 30? The elephant in front of the TV in the living room is the COVID fake vaccine. But doctors are terrified of going there because they know their career will be over if they did. Look at what happened to Dr. Andrew Wakefield when he challenged the measles, mumps and rubella vaccine. And far worse than that awaits any doctor speaking out about the COVID fake vaccine because of the scale of the COVID hoax and how important the fake vaccine is to the cult's agenda because society is agenda driven, not people driven. It's not about what's best for people, it's about what's best for the cult's agenda. And the final subject this week is lockdown. This is in the Times. Little by little, the truth of the lockdown is being admitted. It was a disaster. This is written by Jonathan Sumption, or Lord Sumption, who is a British author, medieval historian, and a former senior judge who sat on the Supreme Court of the United Kingdom between 2012 and 2018. And he says this in this article about lockdown. Lockdown was an extreme and unprecedented response to an ancient problem, the challenge of epidemic disease. It was also something else. It marked one of the gravest governmental failures in modern times. In a remarkably candid interview with The Spectator, Rishi Sunak has blown the gaff off on the sheer superficiality of the decision-making process of which he was himself part. The fundamental rule of good government is not to make radical decisions without understanding the likely consequences. It seems obvious. Yet it is at that most basic level that the Johnson government failed. The tragedy is that this is only now being acknowledged. Sunat makes three main points. First, the scientific advice was more equivocal and inconsistent than the government let on. Some of it was some of it was based on questionable premises that were never properly scrutinized. Some of it fell apart as soon as it was challenged from outside the group think of the SAGE advisory body. Second, to build support, the government stoked fear, embarking on a manipulative advertising campaign and endorsing extravagant graphics, pointing to an uncontrolled rise in mortality if we were not locked down. Third, the government not only ignored the catastrophic collateral damage done by the lockdown, but actively discouraged discussion of it, both in government and in its public messaging. Lockdown was a policy conceived in the early days by China and the World Health Organization as a way of suppressing the virus altogether, so-called zero COVID. The WHO quickly abandoned this unrealistic ambition, but European countries except Sweden eagerly embraced lockdown, ripping up a decade of pandemic planning that had been based on concentrating help on vulnerable groups and avoiding coercion. At first, Britain stood up against the stampede. Then Professor Neil Ferguson's team at Imperial College London published its notorious Report 9. Sunak confirms that this was what panicked ministers into a measure that the scientists had previously rejected. If number 10 has studied the assumptions underlying it, may, it might have been less impressed. Report 9 assumed that in the absence of a lockdown, people would do nothing whatever to protect themselves. This was contrary to all experience of human behaviour as well as the data available at the time which showed that people were voluntarily reducing contacts well before the lockdown was announced. And as Report 9 pointed out, lockdown would not destroy the virus. It would come back as soon as the restrictions were lifted. The policy therefore made sense only as a stopgap until the advent of an effective vaccine, then reckoned to be 18 months away. It was a fake vaccine that doesn't meet the criteria of a vaccine, doesn't stop transmission or infection. And far from preventing serious illness, it's causing it to 
unprecedented numbers of people. The article continues, It was always obvious that you could not close the country down for months on end without serious consequences. The shocking thing that emerges from Sunak's interview is that the government refused to take them into account. There was no assessment of the likely collateral costs of lockdown. There was no cost-benefit analysis. There, were no, there was no planning. In government, the issues were not even discussed. Sunak's own attempts to raise them hit a brick wall. Ministers took refuge in evasive buck-passing, claiming to be following the science. Yet the critical question was never a scientific one. It was a political question in which the likely hospital admissions, hospital admissions and deaths from COVID were just one element. The scientists said it was not their job to think about the social or economic implications of their advice. They were right about that. The problem is it turned out to be no one else's job. We are still paying for this negligence and our children and grandchildren will be paying for it for decades to come. In 2020, UK GDP fell by nearly a tenth, the biggest hit to the economy for at least a century. According to Treasury estimates, 460,000 people left the workforce never to return. The policy took a wrecking ball to the public finances. The IMF estimates the government spending rose by more than £400 billion, or about £6,000 for every man, woman and child. Most of this was unproductive spending. It went on paying people for not working and supporting businesses forced to cease operations. At one point in the spring of 2020, the government was spending about twice as much on compensating for the lockdown as it was on the NHS. Borrowing rose to £330 billion a piece time record. Then there are the non-financial costs. Other mortal conditions went undiagnosed and untreated. In October 2020, after four months of lockdown, the Office for National Statistics reported more than 25,000 excess deaths at home from conditions such as cancer, heart disease and dementia. A year after the last lockdown ended, the NHS still has a vast backlog. Excess deaths, 95% of them due to conditions other than COVID, are running about 1,000 a week. There has been a huge impact on mental health, with children and the poor worst affected. Children lost two terms of face-to-face -face schooling, the closure of schools, training establishments and universities slowed, the accumulation of skills reducing productivity. The Institute for Fiscal Studies has estimated the cost to the economy at somewhere between £90 billion and £350 billion. The best off with plenty of resources at home will probably recover, those who are already disadvantaged will be permanently damaged, existing inequalities will grow a lot worse. The lockdown was an experiment in authoritarian government, unmatched in, when, in our history, even in wartime. Not only did the government assume powers over the lives of citizens that it had never previously claimed, in government decision-making was concentrated in the hands of the Prime Minister, a man with notoriously poor judgment and little taste for detail. The cabinet was kept out of the loop until near the end. Discussion of fundamental issues was ruled out in the name of collective responsibility. Sunak blames the government's hysterical public messaging for aggravating the economic impacts of the lockdown. Other countries did not stoke public fear in this irresponsible way. It has, he says, contributed to making the UK's recovery the slowest in Europe. That is no doubt true, but there is a more serious criticism. Throughout history, fear has been the chief instrument of authoritarian rule. During the lockdown, it was what enabled the government to sign its dissent and inhibit discussion. The result illustrated some of the worst features of top-down government, the lack of wider deliberation and scrutiny leads to decisions being made on the hoof, without proper forethought, planning or research. It promotes loyalty at the expense of wisdom and flattery at the expense of objective advice. It encourages overconfidence, banishing moderation and restraint. It was only the weakening of the Prime Minister's political authority after the Owen Patterson affair that emboldened the super cabinet to overrule him and his scientific advisers for the first time in December last year when the NHS feared being overwhelmed by the Omicron variant.
Ministers and scientists responsible for a policy that is inflicting untold misery on an entire population naturally find it hard to admit they may have been mistaken, but closing ranks against the public interest usually fails in the end. There will be more embarrassing disclosures after this one. The official narrative is beginning to unravel. Well, a few points there before I go into the analysis. The official narrative un was unraveled entirely, virtually entirely, if not completely, by the alternative media on the internet in spring 2020. It's beginning to unravel in the public arena to people who don't look at that information, but it's been known about since spring 2020 that COVID was a hoax and how it was a hoax and why it was a hoax. And lockdown was not an experiment. It was known what the consequences would be, and that's why it happened. That was part of the reason the whole COVID hoax was played in the first place, not least the destruction of the economy and businesses, as I explain in the new book. And so when we look at the analysis, and I'll just read out uh, this article before I give my, my analysis. COVID policy. This is in the Daily Express. Follow the science, they said, and like sheep, we did, says Lucy Johnston. Follow the science. As political slogans go, it seems like a good one. In just three words, it suggests both determination to deal with the problem and a pathway to the solution. It implies that the requisite expertise is not only on hand, but already hard at work. It suggests that even in the midst of a deadly pandemic, if we just stick to this simple formula, everything will be fine. But it is not this simple, of course. As has been pointed out by many scientists, politicians and academics, there is no such thing as the science. A single, immutable reference point that provides all the answers. Science evolves. It relies on fresh ideas, discourse, debate and evidence. Often the wilder ideas are wrong, sometimes they are right. Occasionally, long-established assumptions must be ditched as knowledge progresses. Today's heretic can be tomorrow's visionary. And yet, for at least two years of the pandemic, the science was this government's lodestar. We were told to stay home, protect the NHS and save lives. Posters on bus shelters reminded careless teens don't kill granny. This was what we were told the science demanded and what most politicians and more science agreed with. Former Chancellor and leadership hopeful Rishi Sunak has just blown a huge hole in the claim there was consensus. The picture he painted in The Spectator was far from one of a government nodding in agreement to accepted scientific wisdom. Many, he said, had doubts about the science, but ministers were told not to discuss the potential downsides in interviews. He said the script was not to ever acknowledge that the script was, oh, there's no trade-off because doing this for our health is good for the economy. He said ministers were not given enough time or information to go through reports from SAGE. And astonishingly, where findings were internally challenged, opposition was scrubbed from official minutes, he claimed. Contradicting of the science, such as asking whether the benefit of closing schools would outweigh the costs, was met with silence, said the former Chancellor. Boris Johnson's former special advisor, Dominic Cummings, has branded Mr. Sunak's words dangerous rubbish, claiming he seems to be suffering from rewrite history syndrome. The former number 10A of the article continues was of course at the centre of the decision-making process throughout COVID. Yet even if Mr. Sunak is guilty of rewriting history, it's simply wrong to claim there were no opposing voices. Plenty of previously highly respected experts were in fact questioning the science. I know because I dealt with them throughout the pandemic, the writer says. 
Countless doctors and scientists told me they feared that lockdowns ultimately would do more harm than good. Many questioned the lack of evidence and the lack of proportionality to the measures, but they urged this was off the record. You cannot print it, otherwise I might lose my job. I could face disciplinary action. I will get trolled on social media. There were also a handful brave enough to put their heads above the parapet and question the science. They faced a vitriolic backlash both on and offline despite their immense expertise. Oxford professors Sinetra Gupta and Carl Hennigan are amongst them. So too are the sociologists Robert Dingwall, economic health expert David Patton, the cancer specialist Carol Scora and the psychologist Ellen Townsend. Perhaps they and others, once the dust has finally settled, will see their contributions to the debate properly acknowledged. For now, it is still those who push the government line who have picked up the plaudits, promotions and honours, including knighthoods. But Mr Sunak has opened the door to new lines of discussion that cannot be ignored. Who allowed unelected experts to effectively call the shots? How and why did official minutes of sage documents get censored without challenge? And as the country is left to pick up the pieces with more than 1,000 unexplained weekly excess non-COVID deaths, record waiting lists and eye-watering national debt. Where are these experts now? Where are the urgent briefings about the hundreds of thousands of missed cases of cancer, heart disease, strokes and diabetes? Why did no one in authority warn that the lockdown measures put in place to protect us could end up causing so much harm? Open scientific debate was broken during the pandemic. While everyone recognises the slogan of follow the science, will anyone be held to account for the problems we now face for doing so? Well, a few points there before I go into the analysis. The official narrative un was unravelled entirely, virtually entirely, if not completely, by the alternative media on the internet in spring 2020. It's beginning to unravel in the public arena to people who don't look at that information, but it's been known about since spring 2020 that COVID was a hoax and how it was a hoax and why it was a hoax. And lockdown was not an experiment. It was known what the consequences would be, and that's why it happened. That was part of the reason the whole COVID hoax was played in the first place, not least the destruction of the economy and businesses, as I explain in the new book. And so when we look at the analysis of this article and this story. The UK government, as with other governments around the world and their advisors, have a getaway car. And that is the devastation since 2020 as a result of COVID policies was a result of poor management and bungling decision making worldwide. Think about that. How plausible is that? Worldwide advisors and political leaders whose policies destroyed their countries and the global economy, just made mistakes, just poor judgment. The destruction wrought by Bill Gates' connected advisors and Klaus Schwab Young Leaders School graduates in the form of political leaders was coldly calculated as per the cult's agenda. In a new book, I look at the psychological manipulation of the COVID hoax, which was the underlying foundation of the hoax. Follow the science is a phrase which demands people stop thinking and believe whatever the government and their advisors say. And in the new book, I examine, and it goes down, it goes to some very deep levels. I examine the question and try to answer the question, why do people just believe what 
apparent experts and academics and people with letters after their name say without a first thought, never mind a second one, why don't people question what they're told? And I, I examine that in the book and I look at the science behind the COVID policies, the science behind the alleged virus and viruses in general. And real science can take government-sponsored science apart, as I show comprehensively in the new book. Where are the urgent briefings about the hundreds of thousands of missed cases of cancer, heart disease, stroke and diabetes, the article asks. Well, heart problems and strokes are two consequences of the COVID fake vaccine. If the COVID hopes has taught us anything, it's that we need to stop listening to experts, stop loaning out our minds to experts and start doing our own research, trusting our own convictions and thinking for ourselves. And that's a point that I really drive home in the new book. If we keep trust in experts, then the nightmare world of the cult's agenda would unfold. Because those experts will advise, and it were many of them genuinely, but cluelessly, in line with what the cult want them to say, and for evidence of that, see the COVID hoax and human caused climate change hoax with all the massive transformation of society in line with the cult's agenda that comes from believing what ex the uh, official experts say about that, the mainstream experts say about that, as I show in my first book. If we start trusting ourselves then we can overturn humanity's plight and create a world of freedom and respect for people so that's it for this week that's the news that's the context and connections that's pay-per-view more to come next week until then goodbye <laughs>